good morning everyone and it certainly is so great to be back. I'd like to go on record first of all of uh, just saying how great the staff at Redlands Hospital are. I have nothing but the highest praise for the hospital staff and also the Ambos who very graciously gave me a ride in their vehicle on the way. <laughs> and uh, uh, it it's, can be a lonely time and could I just encourage you, young people especially, memorise the word of God because when you're in that little cell all on your own and there are no visitors and so forth, to be able to go through precious, loved scriptures, mm -hmm. that they bring such comfort uh, to you at times like that. And, uh, and that was so, so wonderful. Uh, the time there, of course, was very, uh, very long. The hours slowed right down. Uh, on one occasion there, I was in cell number 13, and uh, didn't have a phone and there was no clock and, and I didn't know what time it was and I thought it must be close to the midnight hour and I asked the nurse when she came in to, well, when she came in to undo the cannula, I was on a uh, drip for there for a while, um, uh, an intravenous strip and um, I asked what time it was, I thought it must have been close to midnight and she said, it's 8.30. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me! But um, and and of course, if, if only I'd had a uh, a phone, uh, I would have known what time it was and so forth. And um, uh, while, while the cuff was on and automatically it was taking the blood pressure every half hour, well then I could sort of count off the half hours and that helped. But uh, it gives a new dimension to. Some people who refer to your mobile phone as the cell phone, <laughs> I certainly could have done with one on that occasion. And uh, also my very grateful thanks to my church family. This is from Inkarambi. We thank you so much for those um, phone calls or kind messages of um, encouragement and so forth. And, uh, and so we do thank you. I take the the greeting of the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians when he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Also when I was there, not only reflecting on scriptures that, that I had, there's nothing at all to, to read. And uh, uh, I, I was thinking also of hymns and songs and uh, uh, singing these to myself in bed and thinking back to around about 30 or 40 years ago when we were in Hobart, a number of brethren assemblies in Hobart, they'd got a combined mixed choir to sing uh, various hymns, cantatas and so forth. The one cantata there, uh, which was uh, a beautiful one from John W. Peterson, uh, I think the title was No Greater Love. But the words are these. Three crosses stood on Calvary. The centre cross was meant for me. But on that cross they crucified a friend of mine. For me 
he died. I'd like us to focus on these three crosses this morning. So would you turn with me please to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27. Matthew's Gospel chapter 27 and verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They, guarded, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the two robbers, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Our Lord's blessing be on the reading of his word and our meditation this morning. Now we all have to die. That has been uh, established for us right from the very beginning. That awful day when sin came into the world. And God must pronounce the curse that comes by sin. Cursed is the ground for your sake. It shall bring forth thorns, thistles. And in the sweat of your brow you will eat bread until you go back to the dust from where you came. From dust you came to dust you shall return. And history has proven over the centuries that this is 100% accurate. Everyone who has died uh, will uh, everyone who has ever lived will die and so um, 
Uh, there's, there's no one alive on planet Earth today who was alive 200 years ago. And so uh, it is a, a judgment of God upon mankind that death comes. The question is, how will you die? And I don't mean die a violent death like uh, these on the cross, but nor will you die of a disease, but on which side of the cross will you die? Because we read that there were two criminals and as we consider these two criminals, we see that there is truly more than one way to die. On one cross, a man died as he had lived. He died in sin. He died unforgiven. On another cross, on the cross on the other side, this man died to his sin, forgiven with the hope of eternal life in the presence of God. And on that central cross died our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was without sin, as we've been reading in Hebrews, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And yet he was God's perfect sacrifice for sin. And so as we consider these, we, we ask ourselves, we look within our own heart, on which side of the cross do we belong? Well, firstly, this one who died in his sin. This is an expression the Lord himself used when he was speaking to the unbelieving Jews in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, just turning over to that passage. John chapter 8, verses 21 to 24. Then Jesus said to them again, this is the unbelieving Jews. Sometimes in John's gospel, the Jews means those who were out to, to discredit him, to, to speak against him. Other times it meant the Jews nationally, and you, you need to be aware of which one it is. But these are the unbelievers and he said to them, I am going away, you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Three times in four verses the Lord warned these people that they were in danger of dying in their sins, unforgiven. What does it mean to die in, in sin? Well, firstly, it means to die blind as to who the Lord Jesus really is. And as we've been meditating on him in our worship this morning, and we have seen that he is the one who has come with a message of hope for all of mankind. And while there is sin in the world, we need to hear such a message today. But of such people, Paul writing to the Corinthians said that concerning him, 
none of the princes of this world knew. Did he mean the, the leaders, the political leaders, the military leaders, uh, or, or, or was it principalities and powers? Because it may have also been the unseen world of demonic and satanic influence which is there. Because even Satan himself was outsmarted at Calvary. This is the fulfilment of scripture. And so as Paul writing to the Corinthians said, none of the princes of this world knew, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so we see that uh, to die in sin means that you die blind as to who Jesus is. But not only that, you die hardness of heart. And these people, as we've been reading in John chapter 8, oh, they were so hard in their hearts. And you go through all the Gospels and you see how they hated him without a cause. And they were forever casting aspersions, uh, for example, on his legitimacy. They said, we're not born of fornication. You know, as for this man, we don't know what his lineage is. They cast aspersions on his sobriety. They said he is a man gluttonous and, has, and is a wine-bibber. On his sanity, they said he is mad, he has a demon. And, uh, and, and these are those unbelieving, hardened people. L look at the ones who were at uh, the cross that we've just been reading in Matthew chapter 27. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium gathered the whole garrison around him. How many soldiers would have been there? The whole garrison was gathered. Now, I don't think that they uh, were doing anything more than just doing their job. For them uh, to carry out an execution like that was just part of their daily uh, list of duties. And, and yet um, uh, they could just do it so coldly except that now they wanted to have a bit of fun at our Lord's expense. And so we read, so they stripped him because of this accusation above his head. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Oh, he's a king. Then he must have a coronation. Let's provide a coronation. So they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, scarlet, the colour of royalty. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, the king must have a crown, Let's give him a crown, a crown of thorns. They put it on his head, put a reed, a scepter, a bamboo pole in this case, a bamboo pole. They put a scepter in his hand, a, a, an imitation one, just to mock him. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Oh, how hard is the heart of people. And we, we would think, but... These were uncivilised people of 2,000 years ago. We're civilised. We don't behave like that today. But we cannot say that, can we? We cannot say that, not when we look at Ukraine, Myanmar, even the United States, even Australia. We too are uncivilised, uncaring and, and hurtful towards others. And that's how... One of these criminals died hard of heart, blind to, as to who Jesus was, totally unsympathetic, 
and he died absolutely hopeless. He died and went to a lost eternity. And many people choose to die in such a way today. But there is another way to die. Uh, Matthew doesn't bring it out. Mark doesn't bring it out. But we go to the Gospel of Luke. When you have the four gospel accounts, these are the accounts of our Lord's life on earth uh, from the time of his birth to the time of the crucifixion, resurrection and ascension. But uh, two of the gospels were written by disciples, disciples who had walked and talked with Jesus for those three and a half years. Matthew and John. John was there at the cross because the Lord Jesus entrusted the future of his mother to John. Son, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. And from that hour, John took Mary to his own home. But what about Matthew? Where was he? Mark, according to the Bible scholars, uh, got his information from Peter, so we are told, possibly with very, very good reason. He learned a lot of what he wrote from Peter. Where was Peter? Where was Matthew? Where were the other disciples? They were miles away. They had fled in fear of their lives. They forsook him and fled. When you come to Luke's Gospel... We see that Luke, in the beginning of his, tells us the, the reason for writing. He studied so meticulously, he checked so as to give his good friend, the excellent Theophilus, an accurate account. And this is what Luke writes right at the beginning. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Luke was very well educated. He was a physician. Luke studied and did his research meticulously. And one of the sources, his main source, we believe, was Mary herself. It is only Luke who is able to tell us of the angel coming to Zacharias to, to tell that he was to be the mother of the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. It is Luke who tells us that the angel came to Mary to tell her that she was the one who would be the mother of the Messiah. It is only Luke who gives us that lovely song of praise from Mary. My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. It is only Luke who writes about those early days when the Lord Jesus was only eight days old, presented at the temple. It is only Luke who wrote of that 
childhood experience when the Lord Jesus was 12 years old. Mary and Joseph are heading off home to uh, Nazareth from Jerusalem and he was left behind. Where was Luke, sorry, where was Mary at the cross when the Lord Jesus was crucified? She was right there. She was at the foot of the cross with John. She was within earshot of all that was going on, all that was said, all that was done. And so it's not surprising then that Luke is able to give us a little more than the other gospel writers. She was there. She was an eyewitness. And so Luke records us that while, uh, while the, uh, uh, both, the, um, both of the uh, criminals... Uh, at the beginning were equal in their vilification of the Lord, yet along the way there was a change that came into the experience of one man. And uh, it may... I'll just turn to the word itself in Luke chapter... uh, Verse 32... There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, one on the left. This brings before you something of the blessing of unanswered prayer. Remember how the disciples from time to time, uh, or even the mother of James and John on one occasion said, Oh, Master, we would like you to grant us a request, if you would. Would you grant that when you come into your kingdom, one of my sons could be at your right hand, the other on the left? And even the disciples themselves argued about who was the greatest. And even on the night in which he was betrayed, the night before the cross, the night after the Lord had instituted the Lord's Supper, there was still a dispute among them as to who was greatest. And, uh, and, you know, as I say, the blessing of unanswered prayer, if the Lord had said to them, right, well, I'm going to be crucified with two others. Who would be, who'd like to be on my left? Who on my right? They, you know, sometimes some things we ask for are just so crazy that it's a blessing that God doesn't give us what we ask for. But uh, there were two criminals crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. When they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is not excusing their deeds. What they were doing was sinful. There was sin that needed to be forgiven. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But their ignorance was not an excuse. They should have known. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. And even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. All this mockery going on to the Lord of glory. 
inscription was written, and then one of the criminals who was hanged with him blasphemed, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. This now is getting on, and, uh, and, and the end is looking very, very near, and he's becoming desperate. Save yourself, and while you're about it, save us too. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What was there in that crucifixion scene that would convince anyone that Jesus was a king coming with a kingdom? This is a scene of violence. Violence is entertainment. All of these people, these others who are passing by, the soldiers with their mock coronation, uh, the robbers who started off, both of them, mocking the Lord. The, the passers-by, we, we think of the passers-by that, that they also were saying among themselves, he saved others, himself he cannot save. I don't think that they had any special or any particular animosity towards the Lord. They were just joining in the general fun of the occasion. And I just wonder if John being there may have even looked at some of them and maybe recognised one. Hey, Mr. Dad, didn't I see you somewhere? Were you up there at Galilee when he fed the 5,000? Yes, I remember you were there. You were the one with the healthy appetite. You came back for seconds. How come you're now joining in with this crucify him, crucify him, away with him? We'll not have this man to reign over us. We have no king but Caesar. Oh, yeah, well, I'm just going along with everybody else. And maybe there were some there who were there on Palm Sunday with their palms. And they also mocking the Lord. And, and, and there's nothing there at all to indicate that Jesus was a king coming with a kingdom. And yet there was something in this, this man's experience, this other one who, that really convinced him that, that he was. Verse 40 again. The other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he heard those wonderful words of assurance, today with me in paradise. But what, what, what was there to convince him so as he's there on the cross? And maybe he recalled the, those words in Psalm 22 where we read, They divided my garments among them and for, lots, uh, for my vesture they cast lots. And <clears throat> David wrote that a thousand years ago. How come the Roman soldiers are doing it just as he said? So then... Uh, Perhaps he is a king. He, he 
probably remembered some of the lessons he'd learned in the synagogue when his father took him to the synagogue on occasions to, to hear the religious teachers teaching the law that Jesus uh, was a coming king. The Messiah would come, but he would be a suffering Messiah. The, the religious leaders themselves, these were the ones who should have known that, uh, that the Saviour had to come to suffer. By human standards, they were good people. In fact, you know, the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee standing on the street corner, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I do this and I do that and I do something else and I don't do what those... Well, that, that sinner over there, I'm not like him. Whereas that publican, he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He just prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And who was it who went home justified? It was that humble publican, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And as this criminal is watching all of this, something comes and convinces him that this is truly the Messiah, that he is a king, he is coming with a kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom and to hear those lovely words today with me in paradise. And so as we look into our own hearts, we ask ourselves the question once again, on which side of the cross do we belong? Do we belong with that first criminal or the second? And, <clears throat> and so then let us turn to the third cross, the cross on which the Lord Jesus himself died. And what is there to convince people that he is God's sacrifice for sin? <coughs> there was the silence he now he has nothing to say. When he was on earth, he answered all their questions, all those loaded questions where they tried to trip him up. Whose wife will, uh, uh, will all those seven brothers have in the, in the resurrection? This is to the Sadducees who believe there is no resurrection. Uh, is it lawful to pay our taxes to Caesar? And uh, a woman taken in adultery, the law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? They, they thought they had him coming one way or another. Uh, whatever answer he gave would be the wrong answer. They thought that they could trip him up. They were testing him repeatedly over and over again, but he was able to... Uh, answer them wisely and uh, silence them so that uh, when one group of people came back having been told to go out and arrest him and bring him back here, why have you not brought him? Oh, never man spake like this man. They were just so overwhelmed with his answers and they could do nothing more. But now he is silent. On the cross, he is silent. Why the silence? Because, I'll tell you why, it's because he's taking my place. He's taking your place as guilty sinners before God. 
If we stand before God unforgiven and God says, well, what do you have to say for yourself? We would be silent also. We would have nothing to answer. And he's taken our place, taking our guilt upon himself. God has made him, the one who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> and there, there was also um, the, the thorns. They gave him a crown to wear, a crown of thorns. Where did the thorns come from? Once again, we go back to the uh, first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Uh, that day when sin came in and God pronounced the curse and uh, cursed is the ground for thy sake. It shall bring forth thorns also and thistles and in the sweat of your brow you will eat bread. Thorns are a symbol of the curse of God and Jesus took the curse that should have been ours upon himself. This is the one on the central cross. Three crosses stood on Calvary. The central cross was meant for me. But on that cross they crucified a friend of mine. For me, he died. Ah, oh, young people with your lives opening up before you, now is the time to come to the Saviour. Give your life to him. But older people also, there was an evangelist once who was asked about the response he had from a meeting and he said, yes, there were three and a half saved. Three and a half, three and a half. I, oh, three adults and a child. Oh, yes, yeah, I understand. No, 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 says the, advan the evangelist. Three children, one adult. You young people, your lives are opening up before you. Now has never been, there's never been a better time than now to be a Christian. Uh, yes, older people may come to the Saviour also. Have a look at this, this man, uh, this repentant sinner. I'll tell you what he did do. First of all, he admitted his own guilt. He said... <clears throat> Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He was not making any excuses for himself. He said, I am a sinner. I deserve what I'm getting. And so do we. If God were to send us to hell, we would deserve it. Nothing less than we do deserve. And then he also acknowledged our Saviour's absolute sinlessness. Once again, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. This man has done nothing wrong. And this is the testimony of his enemies as well as his friends. Pilate's wife came to her husband, Pontius Pilate. She said, have thou nothing to do with that just man? I've suffered many things in a dream. Pilate himself said, I find in him no fault at all. The centurion who was at the foot of the cross he watched Jesus die he said surely this is the son of God surely this was a righteous man so the Lord is offering this morning 
eternal life for those who will come, who will uh, acknowledge their sin, come to the Saviour in the, in the way that has been prescribed, in repentance toward God because it, our sins are sins against God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ because on the cross he took salvation, he took the punishment, the wrath of God against sin upon himself. He tasted death for every man. As we've been reading of the priesthood in the Old Testament there, this could be no continuing priesthood because priests died at the end of their life cycle and one priest succeeded another. But this man is alive forevermore and so his priesthood is, is an eternal priesthood. So again I ask, on which side of the cross do you belong? How will you die? Will you die blind as to the claims of the Saviour? Hard of heart? When Paul the Apostle was preaching on Mars Hill, recorded in Acts chapter 17, and he came to the end of his message on that occasion, he said, the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance to all men and that he raised him from the dead. Just as surely as the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, just that surely this world is a condemned world. But there is escape to be had. And so he called upon people. Well, they responded in three different ways. There was one group who said, that's the greatest load of rubbish I've ever heard. And they went away unforgiven. There was another, another group who said, well, we'd like to think about this just a little bit longer. And that's all very well. You may remain neutral for a time, but you must choose before you leave this life. And then, of course, there was the third group, but there were some who believed, Damaris and, uh, and, 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 and several others there. So, so there were people who responded, but we ourselves individually must face that same question. Nobody else can make it for you. It's a, it's a decision that you yourself must make, and we are here to do our best to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only and yet all-sufficient way of salvation. Our Father, we bow once again in your presence in the precious name of our Lord Jesus, and we give you thanks that we still live in God's day of grace, that salvation is still freely available to whosoever will. And Lord, we give you thanks that we can unite together those of us who know and who love the Lord in, to sing these wonderful words of assurance uh, which bring such comfort to our hearts because they point us forever to our Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, we do pray for, that if there be any here this morning who do not yet know the Saviour, Oh, how we pray that they may seek him while he may be found. 
that, Father, your servants here may be ever ready to help point them to the Saviour, the one who has loved us, given himself for us, but desires to be their Saviour also. And so, Lord, we do pray now that as we separate, as we go to our own homes, we go with your blessing, blesses each one according to our own individual need. And once again, we give you all the praise, all the glory, and we pray that our Lord Jesus will be honoured and magnified in our daily life from here on. Hear us, then, we ask. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen.